Okay, I hope everyone's uh, doing well. Um, last week, right, we, we started our study on the Book of Acts. And yeah, I know I know one CG recently read through Acts. Um, actually, a few years ago, the leaders read through Acts together as well for Lent. And if you are old enough, you will remember that we last did a series on Acts in 2014. Um, in loud gen. Okay, so why 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 do we why do we want to study Acts? Let me give you three reasons. Okay, as a little introduction um, before we start. Why study Acts? Okay, the first reason is for our enlightenment. Okay, now Acts is the link between the Gospels, right? The four Gospels which record the life of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament. Okay, the, the letters and the epistles, right? Now you know that Acts is the sequel to Luke, right? Um, both, both books, Luke and Acts, are written by Dr. Luke. Um, and at the start of both books, you will see that they are addressed to the same guy called Theophilus. Okay, Acts chapter 1 verse 1 starts like this. In my former book, which is the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, uh, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, right? So the book of Luke is about what Jesus began to do, and the book of Acts is about what Jesus continued to do through his disciples, right? Acts shows how the disciples of Jesus, Christians, the term Christian first appears in the book of Acts, okay? Uh, Acts shows how the Christians continue and carry on the ministry of Jesus Christ, even though he has ascended to heaven, right? So Acts actually shows uh, the start of the Christian church, right? So we must study it because we are Christians and we are the church, okay? Second reason, we study Acts for our encouragement. You know, um, the church started with, with 12 people, right? Or, or maybe 11, right? Because Judas, right? Um, and then in Acts 1, we see, okay, there were 120 of them. And then by the end of chapter 2, there are 3,000 of them. And if you have read the history books, in 300 years, the entire Roman Empire was Christian. And today, there are 2.3 billion Christians in the world, right? So this book marks the start of the Christian church, right? And the church has been growing and growing ever since, right? So we can take heart um, as Christians that the kingdom of God is advancing day by day. And finally, we study the book of Acts for our emulation, for our imitation, right? Now, the Acts church was not a perfect church. There's, there's no such thing, right? Uh, you know, you, you, you may have read about Ananias and Sapphira in, in Acts chapter five, but in the book of Acts, God has given us the pattern of church life, right? What we can and should be as a church. And we should pray that we will become like this as a church, right? So Acts is a really uh, important book. And today, we're going to look at a pivotal chapter in Acts, okay? You know, if you take out Acts chapter 2, the entire book of Acts would make no sense. So, so this is a really important chapter which is why I've been extremely stressed this week about uh, this sermon, because how does one adequately preach about the events of Acts chapter 2? Um, I don't know, I'm just uh, relying on the Holy Spirit, whom we shall also talk about today, okay? So, let me give you uh, the, the TLDR, okay? Acts 2, uh, I, I would say, is really a demonstration or a depiction of Acts 1-8, okay? Acts 2 is really Acts 1-8 in action. In Acts 2, we see Acts 1-8 taking place. Now, I hope many of you would have memorized um, Acts 1-8 by now, right? And Acts 2 shows 
this happening. The promised Holy Spirit comes. Okay, the disciples receive uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it's like, it's like a switch was turned on, right? The power turned on and things started happening. Things changed, right? They, they become his witnesses and go to the ends of the earth. They begin to do the things that Jesus did because they were now filled with this power. And, and so the summary of Acts 2 is really that the disciples received power when the Holy Spirit came and they were his witnesses. Okay, Acts 1. So before we begin, um, let's pray. Okay, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us today and, and fill us with his power so that we can be his witnesses. Okay, let's pray. Um, I would encourage you to, to just take a moment and pray for yourself and ask the Lord to speak to you today. Let's pray. God, I ask that right now you would um, just remove all distraction, uh, tiredness, apathy, uh, or even cynicism, God, as we, as we look at your word. Father, soften our, our hardened hearts and speak to us today. And we ask that Spirit today, you will help us to spiritually discern what you are saying to us. Lord, we know that you are the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. The Holy Spirit, you are the Spirit of truth. And so we ask that you will guide us into all truth today. That Spirit, you will be um, the advocate, the, the counselor, and the comforter. God, bring about conviction in our hearts today transform us that we may really live our lives for you and be your witnesses so jesus i pray that today you will be glorified just as we, we sang just now um, come and be glorified lord fix our eyes on you uh, turn our hearts toward you turn turn our thoughts toward you and come and be at the center today god i pray for every single one of us um, in our homes Lord, I ask that you will speak to us, speak straight to our heart today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I think, um, I think by now most of you would have gone back to school, right? At least, at least for a week. And I'm sure it's been kind of different, right? You have to wear the mask uh, the whole day, right? You have to practice like safe distancing, even during recess and all that. I was just talking to my kids um, and, and, and they were telling me like, so sad, right? Like recess is like so boring. You can just, they have this designated seat and they can only sit there and eat their food. Like that's all they can do. They kind of walk around and, and, and you know, they, 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 they talk less, their friends, because they wear a mask and all that. Um, yeah, and, and everyone is talking now about um, the new normal, right? What, what is the new normal in terms of like um, going out, eating out, hanging out with your friends, um, your CCAs, uh, we just had BB this morning, um, which, which, is, which, is, which is fine, I guess, over Zoom. But I don't know how you do like sports CCAs over Zoom. Um, but what's the new normal in terms of like going to church, right? Particularly yeah. with regard to church. And, and I guess for us especially, the new normal is now our online service, right? Um, online prayer meeting, right? Everything's online. We've been doing this, we've been doing this Zoom service. For the past three months now and and who knows how long we'll have to uh, carry on doing this for right um, in some ways uh, maybe it's been good our, our attendance has been uh, higher uh, maybe it's it's been easier for people to come to service right you don't have to like take, take a bus ride or, or whatever um, 
But then what happens when we when we go back to church and you can't just wake up at 3.55 p.m., right? Um, in other oh. ways, it's, it's, it's been challenging, at least for me. I, I think it's very different, right? Worshipping alone at your computer compared to standing next to your brothers and sisters and worshipping and singing together, right? Uh, for me, I can't see the faces I'm, I'm preaching to, right? It feels a bit like I, I'm, a, I'm a DJ or something, just talking to talking to my computer. Um, but I think that that also means that this is a, I was telling the, some people last night that this is, um, uh, you know, when the music fades away, no, what was it? When the music fades and all is stripped away kind of, kind of period, right? It, it teaches us to worship wholeheartedly without being dependent on the crowd, the music, the band, the lights, um, you know, the feels, right? It, it, it teaches me to simply preach the word faithfully without being kind of like dependent on human responses, like whether you guys laugh at my jokes or not. I just assume that you do. And, and, and I've been thinking, right, what, what can we learn from this pandemic about how we do church, right? What does it mean to be the church in this new normal? And, and I think looking at the book of Acts is, is, is a great place to start, right? Today, as we look at Acts chapter 2, actually, we see the disciples moving into a new normal as well. This is a new era for them, right, where the way they practice their faith would be kind of different. What does it mean for them now as followers of Christ, now that Christ has died, resurrected, and gone to heaven? Right? It's a new season for them. They were no longer just following Jesus around and watching him do ministry. They were now tasked with this great commission to go make disciples of all nations. And, and, and here they were waiting in Jerusalem for this gift of power that Jesus has promised in, in Acts chapter 1, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and Acts 2 is when, is when the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and fills the disciples. And there's so much that can be said about this passage, right? But let's, let's start by just looking at what happened, okay? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a very unusual and unique event. So um, can you open your Bibles? Okay, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Um, I would encourage you to, you know, if you're at your desk, especially take notes. Um, and let's, let's look at Acts chapter 2, okay? So let's start in verse 1. Verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost came, okay, Pentecost is a Jewish festival. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. You see, this was the promised gift coming from heaven. Okay, the Holy Spirit, just like wind, as we see here, is an invisible power, right? You, you can't see wind, but you can clearly see the effects of wind. Right, you can see things moving because of the wind. Um, if you've ever seen like post tornado pictures, right, you can see the effects of wind power. Right? So the Holy Spirit, like the wind. Verse three, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, nobody really knows what exactly these tongues of fire look like, right? They're 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 usually illustrated something like this. Right? And, and you know, God often revealed himself through fire. Right? In Exodus, we saw um, the burning bush, right? pillar of fire. Uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel, God came down in fire. And here, um, there were tongues of fire. Right? 
Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, the word tongues just means languages, okay? So they began to speak in other languages because the Holy Spirit enabled them. Now, today I want to explain this gift of tongues a little bit. So much can be said, okay? If you are really interested, I would urge you to reach first, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14. But today, let's look at this passage in Acts, okay? So basically, the Spirit filled the disciples and then enabled them to speak in other languages. Now, this was a supernatural act, right? No one can suddenly, in one moment, speak fluent uh, Egyptian, let's say, without having ever studied it, right? So these were languages that the disciples had never learned and they were speaking it. So God was bypassing their intellect, okay? He was using their mouths, not their minds. You know, when I received the gift of tongues, um, the pastor praying for me uh, told me, you're overthinking, right? You're, you're trying to understand it with your mind. And you know, me, an intellectual, I, I was like almost offended, you know, like, why am I supposed to be unthinking? But, you know, I'm an intellectual. Right. But, but the thing is, tongues are a gift of the Spirit. It, it is not something that, that you kind of study and then you master and then you understand. No, it is a gift that the Spirit enables. And yet, it is not uncontrolled gibberish or rubbish. Right? Tongues are, are just languages. If you read on, if you look at verse 6 to 12, right, the disciples were speaking the languages of foreigners from every nation under heaven. Now, what were they saying? Um, I don't think the disciples knew what they were saying, but the people around them recognized their own language and said, verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So we see that these tongues were given to praise God. They weren't even used to like communicate with, with you know, the foreigners or to preach to them, but primarily to give praise to God. Now, maybe some of you would ask, um, why would God bypass our minds, right? And, and I think it's because one of the biggest blockages in our praise and our prayers to God is, is actually our minds. You know, very often our minds and, and our thoughts, they wander off, right? How many times have you been in worship? You're, you're singing, you know, your eyes are closed, maybe your hands are raised even, but you're also thinking... Should I go and buy the curry puff later or something like that, right? It's the same with our prayer. You know, when we're talking to God, like maybe we're, we're praying, um, you know, we're just talking to God and then, and then halfway through, we just feel like, wow, I, I think I should go and check like how many COVID cases there were today. I, I hope it's not just me, right? Well, sometimes we, we want to pray, but we don't know how to pray or we don't know what to say, what else to say, how we can continue praying without just repeating the same things over and over again. And I think that is why God gave a gift that bypasses our minds, but still enables our spirit to continue to address God with our mouths and praise Him and pray to Him. So the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues. And then Peter, verse 14, he stands up and he preaches this message, this sermon that culminates in 3,000 people believing in Jesus Christ and getting baptized that day. And then finally, in the last few verses, 
we read about how these 3,120 people lived as a new community, right? So in a nutshell, that is what happens in Acts chapter 2, okay? And today, I want to share with you three reasons why God poured out His Spirit, poured out His Holy Spirit as the Christian church begun, okay? And the first reason is this, to change us, His disciples, to change us from the inside out. Now, I told you this was the day of Pentecost, right? Maybe today, um, we just think of Pentecost like the Pentecostal denomination. But Pentecost was um, an, an agricultural festival okay, for the Jews. It was a harvest festival. Um, but actually, more than that, the day of Pentecost also commemorated the day that God gave the Ten Commandments to the Jews from Mount Sinai, right? After rescuing them from Egypt. Now, if you have read Exodus, you will know that when Moses, God gave the Ten Commandments, and then when Moses came down from Sinai with the, with the commandments, the people had made a golden calf, right? And they were, they were dancing, worshipping, and running wild. And, and, and so immediately after the law was given, it was broken. And, and so because of that, there was this like purging by the Levites. And, and, and actually that day, 3,000 people died. Um, in fact, what we continue to see in the Old Testament is that the people of God continually fail to keep the commandments. They continually fail to keep the covenant, right? Time and time again, they fail God. They were just incapable of the obedience that was required of them. But here in Acts, on the day of Pentecost, the anniversary of the Ten Commandments, God was renewing His covenant with His people in a completely new way. You see, things have changed. There's a new normal. Jesus has died on the cross and conquered sin and death permanently. And actually, the prophet Jeremiah spoke of this um, in, in Jeremiah chapter 31. Right There's, there's this part where he says, um, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant. He's prophesying and, and God is saying this. And, and if you look at verse 34, God says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And will be their God and they will, they will be my people. This is what God says of his people, that one day it will be like this. You see, there can be no adequate obedience as long as the covenant was external. But now with the Holy Spirit, it is possible because the law will be inside of us, in our minds and on our hearts. And we will be changed from the inside out when the Spirit comes to fill us. You see, what we need is not a list of commandments to keep because we can't. We need the Spirit inside of us. And so instead of giving a list of commandments, God pours out His Spirit and fills His disciples so that the Spirit can change them from the inside out. And if you notice, on the day when God gave the law, 3,000 people died. But on the day when God gave the Spirit, 3,000 people died were saved. You know, many people say that uh, my second daughter, Janelle, looks very much like me. I don't know if you um, agree. Maybe it's like our expressions or something. Um, but you know, she looks like me not because she cut her hair like, like mine, um, not because she put on some makeup to look like me. Um, it's not because she dresses like me. Right? She looks like me because my DNA is inside of her. My genes 
are inside of her. And, and you know, that is why the spirit has to come because the spirit fills us and dwells inside of us to transform us from the inside out into the likeness of God. You see, we won't be able to do that simply by observing rules or by any of our external actions. I mean, you've all heard this, right? Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Being a Christian, being Christ-like, comes from the Spirit filling us and working inside of us and changing us from the inside so that we can be His witnesses. And when we bear His image, when we bear the image of Christ, then we bear witness to Him. And that is how the Spirit empowers us to be his witnesses. So the Spirit comes to change us from the inside out. And the second thing that this Holy Spirit does, right? Another reason why the Holy Spirit is poured out is to glorify Jesus Christ. You know, if you look at Peter's sermon in Acts 2, we read through his whole sermon, you will notice that he didn't preach some morality sermon, you know, like, like oh, give to charity, don't lie, don't steal, don't murder. Um, he also didn't preach some feel-good sermon, you know, like... Um, Oh, you're so precious, all of you, you're so wonderful. And no, he was like, Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, and you crucified him, you put him to death. Right? And if you read the whole sermon, his sermon was completely centered on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Filled with the Spirit, Peter had the power to see Christ also in the Old Testament scriptures that he would have studied and read since he was a kid. Right, if you read the whole sermon, he talks about Psalm 16, Psalm 110. And he says, David, King David, was actually talking about the Messiah, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Spirit shines the spotlight on Christ and helps us to understand him. If you've read John 16, John chapter 16, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. And he says, the Spirit who will come, his role is to guide us into all truth. And verse 14, to glorify Jesus Christ. That is the Spirit's role. The Spirit comes to bring the Son glory as He reveals Jesus and makes Jesus known to us. Right? The Spirit bears witness to Christ. And so the Spirit gives us power to witness to Christ as well. You know, a, a witness um, doesn't talk about himself, like what he feels and all that, right? A witness simply describes what he has seen and what he has experienced. And when we are filled with the Spirit, what happens is that we are preoccupied with the glory of Christ, not ourselves. Right? Look at Peter's sermon. Jesus was unmistakably at the center. If you've read uh, the next chapter of Acts, right, it's, it's, this, it's the story where Peter and John, they healed the scribbled beggar, and everyone's like, whoa. And, and Peter says, why do you stare at us as if this is by our own power or godliness? And then he redirects everyone's attention to Jesus and says, we are witnesses of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, when the Holy Spirit is, is at work in us, the inevitable effect is that Jesus is glorified. You know, spirit-filled Christians are just reflectors, right? We're bringing, bringing glory to Christ. We're like the moon. We have no glory and no light on its, on, on its own. We simply reflect the sun. And today we should ask ourselves, you know, is that our goal in life? to glorify Christ, to witness to the glory of Christ and not care about glory for ourselves. You know, um, as a preacher, 
I have come to, to learn and understand that the goal of every sermon is not for people to say, wow, Joanne, that was such a great sermon, or like, wow, you're such a great preacher. But the goal is for them to say, wow, what a great God we have. What a great Savior Jesus is. You know, for worship leaders, it's the same thing, right? The goal after leading worship is not for people to say, wow, Kathleen, you have such a great voice, although she does. Or, wow, Kathleen, you're so anointed. But for people to say, wow, what a great God we worship. And so in our lives, the goal is not for people to say, wow, what a great and, and smart and nice and cool person you are. But wow, what a great God you serve. What a great work he has done in your life. And that should be our prayer. God, fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit that we might glorify Christ in all that we do, that our lives would make known your greatness, and that we would be witnesses of your glory. So the Spirit comes to transform us from the inside out. The Spirit comes to glorify Jesus. And thirdly, the Spirit comes to empower and equip his people to proclaim the gospel so that others may be saved. Now, I know this point is a bit long, but, but, but this is what we see in the entire book of Acts, right? The Holy Spirit filled the disciples, and then the Spirit gave them this supernatural power to boldly proclaim and preach the Word of God, perform miracles in Jesus' name, and as a result, many were saved. As a result, the gospel spread to many regions and many nations. And that is why I said that if you take out Acts chapter 2, the rest of Acts makes no sense. Because how else do we explain the transformation in these disciples? You know, if you've read the, the gospel accounts, right? The, the disciples were just blur. You know, I think that's the best kind of Singlish word to, to sum them up. They were kind of genuinely quite incompetent and, and powerless. But in Acts, they are on fire, right? They are bold, they are joyous, and they are accomplishing all these great things for God. And Acts chapter 2 is the chapter that explains their transformation. It shows us their source of power. It was because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're here in Acts 2, we, we see Peter speaking to the crowd, right? If you turn back just a few pages of your Bible, you would read of Peter denying Jesus three times and then, and then feeling really awful and sheepish about it. But here, Acts chapter 2, he is a preacher on fire, right? He's no longer the, the cowardly fisherman always kind of like doing and saying the wrong thing. Here, he speaks with, with boldness, with godly wisdom, and with discernment. Look, look at uh, verses 17 to 21. Right? Peter, filled with the Spirit, um, he explains what was happening on that day of Pentecost. Right? He says it was the beginning of the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy in Joel chapter 2. Right? Joel chapter 2, um, God says he will pour out his Spirit on all people, old and young, men and women. You see, in the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was around, right? The Holy Spirit only came on a few people and empowered them for a period of time, right? People like Samson, um, Gideon, or like the prophets, they would speak through the Spirit. But in the last days, that's what Joel 2 is saying, in the last days, God's promise was to pour out His Spirit on everyone. This power is available to all believers. And so the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, empowered Peter to understand this and boldly proclaim it to everyone. 
Now, I want to point out here, as we look at Peter's sermon, that the spirit is closely intertwined with the proclamation of the word. There is no dichotomy, there is no separation between spirit and word. Sometimes I hear people say things like, oh, um, I'm, I'm more word-based, you know, I'm not really into this Holy Spirit stuff. Or, or people say like, oh, I'm, I'm filled with the spirit kind, you know, I'm not into this intellectual studying of the word. Both make no sense. You cannot say that you are filled with the spirit, but disregard God's word. Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And you cannot understand God's word by mere intellectual effort without the spirit who reveals the truth and gives us spiritual discernment, right? It is spiritual truths that are spiritually understood. And so people say, um, if you just have the word without the spirit, then you will dry up. If you just have the spirit without the word, then you will blow up. But when we have the word and the spirit, we will grow up. Yeah, sorry about that. Now, what happens after Peter preaches this spirit-filled sermon um, about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Okay, let's see what happened. Look at verse 37. It says, the people were cut to the heart, cut to the heart. You see the living and active word, right? Sharper than any double-edged sword, cut them to the heart. And, and it cut them so much, so much so that they asked what they should do. They asked for an altar call. You know, Peter didn't issue an altar call and say, okay, let's have a response song, let's dim the lights, right? The people were like asking him, how should we respond? Because the Spirit had spoken straight into their hearts. And Peter told them, verse 38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you will receive forgiveness of sins as well as the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 of them repented and were baptized that day. You see, my friends, you must understand this. Only the Holy Spirit can bring about repentance and conviction like this that leads to salvation. Look at John 16 again. John 16, verse 8. Jesus says, when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So it wasn't that Peter was like a super charismatic and eloquent preacher. I mean, we've seen, right? We've seen how he was like. But it was that the Holy Spirit filled him and empowered him to proclaim the gospel. And because of that, thousands were saved. And in fact, if you read throughout the book of Acts, in fact, throughout the history of the church, we see that the Spirit empowers and equips ordinary believers like you and me to be his witnesses and to proclaim the gospel. And that is how the church has been growing ever since, through the work and power of the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2 shows us how we can fulfill Acts 1.8, right? How can we be his witnesses to the ends of the, the earth? How can we fulfill the great commission to, decide, to make disciples of all nations? Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is what brings the conviction and the repentance that is necessary for someone to give their life to Jesus. And Acts 2 um, marks the beginning of a new normal. Also because here we see that the message of Jesus is not just confined 
to, to Jerusalem or the people in Israel, but the gospel is beginning to spread in a powerful way to the nations. Remember I told you that Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, it was a harvest festival. On this harvest festival, God poured out his spirit and 3,000 were saved. What a great harvest, right? When the Holy Spirit comes, missions and evangelism take place. You know, Pentecost was a big Jewish festival, which is why, if you look at verse 5, so many God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven were there in Jerusalem at that time. And, and they all spoke in different languages, right? You look at verse, uh, verses 9 to 11, like Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Egyptians, etc., etc. And so God chose this occasion when people from all over the world would be around. And then he poured out his spirit and gave this gift of tongues and of languages. You know, if you think about it, this is a reversal of what happened in the Tower of Babel, right? Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. God came down in power and confused people with languages because they were arrogantly trying to prove that they could reach God. But here at Pentecost, God came down in power and gave languages to help people understand because Jesus had humbled himself and become obedient to death on the cross to make a way for men to reach God, to be reconciled with God. It's a reversal of the Tower of Babel. And what happens here in Acts 2 is really a foretaste of what goes on to happen in the rest of Acts, right? And the rest of church history where the gospel spreads to all nations. You see, the Spirit gives us power to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, to go make disciples of all nations, to proclaim the gospel to the world so that many may be saved. So the Spirit comes and transforms us from the inside out. The Spirit gives us power to glorify Jesus Christ. The Spirit equips and empowers us to, to proclaim his word. In summary, the Spirit gives us power to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And then the last six verses of Acts describe what a community of such witnesses looks like. This is a community that is the new normal, right? People who are filled with the Holy Spirit, transformed from the inside out. People who glorify Christ in the way they live and relate to each other and who proclaim the gospel, not just through their words, but in their lives. You know, I don't know if you've heard this quote. Sometimes people say, um, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Now, I, I think that quote is really unhelpful because the Bible never ever says, you know, just live a good life and you don't need to talk to anyone about Jesus, just live a good life, right? In fact, Romans says, how will people believe if they do not hear and how will they hear if no one preaches to them? However, it is true that words alone are not enough, right? Preaching alone, sharing gospel, like with our words alone is not enough. See, evangelism is not simply about words, but also about lives lived in the spirit of God and lives reflecting the presence of God into this world. Our lives have to speak of Christ. Our lives have to match the gospel message that we share. People need to see how the gospel has transformed our lives. And the last six verses of Acts 2 
show us a spirit-filled community of witnesses for Jesus. Now, I know in most of your Bibles, um, they will have a sort of heading right before verse 42. Uh, generally, you will say like the, like the title, like the Fellowship of Believers. But, but you know, all these sections and, and chapters, they're, they're all edits, right? In the original manuscript, it would have just continued. So verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Next verse, they devoted themselves, these 3,000 people, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Okay. The word says 3,000 were added to their number. Okay, 3,000 became part of the group. They were added into the community of Christ. So I want you to note that Christian conversion involves being added to Christ and being added to the people, the community of Christ. You know, I, I know people who say things like, um, yeah, I follow Jesus and he's great, but I don't want to have to do anything. I don't want anything to do. Uh, I don't want to have anything to do with Christians because you know they're they're, they're awful, right? Um, now I I will be the first to admit that every church is flawed, including ours, right? Just like every Christian is flawed, including myself, right? I mean we should be like Jesus, but the reality is that we we often fall short. Still, there is no such thing as commitment to Christ without commitment to each other in Christ. Nowhere in the New Testament do we read about an unchurched Christian. There's just no such thing. When you are in Christ, you are part of the church. It's not an option. It's a fact. You are part of the church. So let's look at this community uh, of Christ in verse, verses 42 to 47. Um, I actually preached on these six verses at our 2018 Vision Saturday, if, if anyone remembers. So there are four characteristics of this um, new community in Christ. Uh, let me show you four characteristics and then I'll end. Okay. Yeah, X to a new normal community that's new normal. Okay. So the first is that is that they were a learning community. That's the first thing we heard of we hear of them. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now for us today, that is that would be the scriptures, right? The word of God. Now just because they received the gift of the Spirit didn't mean that they stopped studying the Word. Remember, I told you no dichotomy between Spirit and Word, right? Being filled with the Spirit is not having some like mystical, airy-fairy experience, right? He is the Spirit of truth. And so these believers had the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in them as their teacher, but it didn't mean that they dismissed human teachers, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so the mark of a spirit-filled church is its devotion and submission to scripture, right? The mark of a spirit-filled church is that God's word is at the center. And spirit-filled Christians love and value the word of God. And what does that mean for us um, today? Well, basically that we take the word of God seriously, right? We read our Bibles, we study the word, we meditate on it, we hide his word in our hearts. We, we take direction from the word. We make decisions based on what the word says. We obey the word. We live it out. God's word is the authority in our lives. Right? That's what it means to be a learning community. Secondly, they were a loving community. Right? They were devoted to fellowship. A little bit like they were like overly attached. You know, they met together every day. 
every day in the temple, they ate together in each other's homes. Right, verse 44, verses 44 to 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You see, they, they were a sharing community. Right? There was a generosity towards each other. And this was not communism, okay, like some people like to say, because all this was voluntary, right? It was not like we equally split everything. It was voluntary. It was just generosity and sharing with each other. Now, what does this mean for us today? Um, it's not that, you know, we'll have youth care like forever. But I think we should be continually learning what it means to belong to one another. Right? What does it mean to, to, to be a family and, and to be generous with one another, um, with our money, yes, but also you know, with our time, with our attention, with our concern. We love one another. Okay, so we're a loving community. Thirdly, they were a worshipping community. Okay, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread will refer to like having meals together, but also observing the Lord's Supper, just as we did just now. So they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Okay, some, some translations say um, the prayers. So I think it would refer to kind of like praying together in the temple, like in a prayer meeting, right? So there was formal worship uh, in the temple, but also informal worship in their homes. And, and they were basically a people who worshiped together, right? And look at verse 46 and 7. They did all these with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, right? They were people of praise, of, of great joy, right? Celebrating of course, they were, they were filled with joy, right? Jesus is risen. Um, so a community that worships, praises, great joy, but also, verse 43, of reverent awe, right? Everyone is filled with awe, reverent awe. So they were a worshipping community of prayer and praise with the fear of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. And, and you know, that is why we persist with trying to worship God together even if it's just on Zoom, right? Even if the audio is not perfect. Uh, we want to sing songs to God together, right? We want to observe the Lord's Supper together. We want to do prayer meetings together, even if it's on Zoom, right? We want to do, I want to have sermon and service and all that. We want to continue being a worshipping community. And finally, they were an evangelizing community. Now, this is probably one of the most encouraging verses, right? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily, right? It was continuous growth. And you know, they were a growing church because they were a learning, loving, and worshipping church, right? And, and I want us to note that the growth was done by God, right? It was the Lord who added to their number, the Lord who added the people, right? It was not human strategies or or some special programs, right? It was primarily a divine work done through the lives of ordinary people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, the church of Jesus Christ has been growing and growing since. That is how all of us here in Singapore are believers. What does it mean for us today? You know, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. How do we continue to be an evangelizing community? in this season when, when we can't have physical services, right? I think we must stop thinking about evangelism 
as merely inviting our friends to a church building or inviting our friends to camp. We don't even know whether we can have camp this year. Right? We have to keep asking the Holy Spirit to empower us to proclaim the gospel and reach our unsaved friends and family. You know, there's, there's this quote that says, the church is the only organization that exists mainly for its non-members. And so, Lao Jen, what are we doing for our non-members in this season? Because we are called to go and serve and reach the world, to be like salt rubbed into the meat to bring out flavor, to be like light piercing through darkness. We cannot just be a holy huddle on Zoom or otherwise. You know, as, as a church, as PBH, right, we've been, we've been doing things, um, we set up the homeless shelter, we deliver groceries to needy families in Teban, uh, we send money to our Telugu brothers affected by the lockdown in the dorms, uh, we, you know, we work with care channels, we reach out to the poor in, in various other countries. But let's also be thinking um, as individuals, right? what can we do? What can we do to be His witnesses? And ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit and empower us to preach and proclaim the gospel through our words and through our lives so that many may be saved. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to be His witnesses. So as a church, let's continually be asking God, how can we be the church, particularly in this season? And, And I'm not talking about the logistics like, oh, how can we move the service online? How can we do things through Zoom and all that? How can we continue to be a learning, loving, worshipping, and evangelizing community? You know, Lao Jen, imagine. Imagine if every one of us, filled with the Holy Spirit, had the same devotion that the Acts Church had. The same devotion to the Word. The same devotion to each other, to fellowship, to generosity, and community. Imagine if every one of us was devoted to worship and prayer and evangelism. Imagine what Lao Jen would be like. And, and you know, the, the Acts Church, they were, they were able to, to be like this because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so today, as we close, I want to urge all of you, wherever you are, to ask God to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't need a physical altar call, you know, with the dim lights and the second keys in the background, although we have Joel. Right? You don't need to be to you don't need some power person to pray for you. Right? We have direct access to God. And, and you don't need to be worried or overly concerned about manifestations of the spirit, like, oh no, will I break out in tongues or will I fall down or will something weird happen? The point is not the manifestations. Right? If it happens, it happens. There's no need to fear. God is a good God. He's a God of order. He's a God of purpose. He's a God of power. Right? The Holy Spirit is not weird and freaky. Okay? The point is to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. To empower us to glorify Christ in all that we do. And to empower us to boldly proclaim the gospel with our words and with our lives so that many will turn to Jesus and be saved. Let us ask the Spirit to empower us to be His witnesses. 
the same spirit that was poured out in Acts chapter 2 is the spirit that is at work in our lives and in our hearts today. So I'm going to ask you all to, to play something and maybe sing a song. Um, but I want to urge all of us, let's pray. Let's come before God and ask God to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. We need this empowering to be the church as He has called us to be, to be His witnesses as He has called us to be. Empower us, God. Come, Holy Spirit. 